Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello and welcome back to Testers Island Discs. It's episode 33 and today on the podcast I am joined by Karina Pip. Karina is a senior automation engineer at Sage Intact. Uh, she's passionate about working with automation, which I think we're probably going to end up talking a lot about uh, today and geeking out a little bit about it. Um, but she also creates uh, awesome little cartoons. Um, I don't know if saying little cartoons is dismissing them or not, but uh, we'll definitely talk about those as well. Um, welcome, Karina. Thank you. Hello, all. Um, awesome to have you on. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're obviously going to talk a lot about automation because it's both of our passions. But um, I'd like to, I want to hear a little bit more about the comic series that you create because I think I've seen some of your pieces sort of floating around on Twitter and in shares and stuff. But um, like, how long have you been doing it? Well, you mentioned that they're the little comics and they're indeed little because, um, you know, my, let's say my brand, my uh, handles and my sites are all that I'm a little tester. So I decided to create a, a series of comics representing uh, a team working in an agile, or so they think, in an agile environment. And uh, the main tester of the team uh, is Little. That's her name, basically. Um, and I'm just trying to show some of the struggles that this team goes through, uh, some of the fun things that they're doing sometimes there might be some learnings out of it sometimes there isn't anything it's just for fun um, some of these are more sarcastic it depends but what i actually wanted to do was just to kind of make a little fun out of the things that are happening maybe to me or maybe to other people that uh, maybe we don't like that much or that kind of affect us in a negative way so just let you know just let it all out and just uh, have a little fun and just enjoy ourselves and just you know, make fun of ourselves, basically. So it's it's basically fiction, but I know that many people said that uh, they kind of relate to some of the stories uh, inside the comics. So um, I think uh, it's just for fun. So I really appreciate that uh, I had so many people saying that they are amazing and that they have a giggle while uh, reading them. And uh, there's, there's already over 50 episodes. So basically that kind of structured everything into seasons so the first season had uh, 50 episodes and now we're already into season two nearing uh, the end of the season two and yeah let's see what adventures the, the characters will go through from here oh that's really cool so it sounds like it's like half um self-therapy to to get through some of those like tough times but half sort of sharing learning and the fact that people being aware of these things uh, and can sort of empathize with them they sort of you know helps them as well uh that's definitely what it's about i mean initially when i started creating them um i had a very long train ride ahead of me i was like for 10 hours on a train and i didn't really know what to do and i really enjoyed drawing at that time i would normally do like girl portraits but i realized that as the train was moving a lot i wouldn't be able to do that so i, I thought you know what what could i do during these 10 hours and there were like two situations from work that were kind of nagging me and I was like, let's let's transform them into something that's either useful to people or just, you know, something funny to look at. And that's how, how it all came together. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, I said, I, 
I'd seen them sort of floating around. I didn't realize that you were the, the author of them um, when we first sort of got in touch. And yeah, I've really enjoyed going through some of them. And I'll definitely uh, share a link to uh, to the current ones and maybe to season one for people to catch up on um, in the notes as well. So yeah, we're here to talk about automation, but I thought maybe before we sort of get into those sort of discussions, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your first song pick? Yeah, so my first song is called Lay It All On Me, and it's by Rudimental, featuring the vocals of Ed Sheeran. And I picked this song because, um, first of all, it has a very strong and great message about friendship and how, you know, when you're friends with someone, you help ease their burden and you're sharing everything with them. And also I chose this song because Ed Sheeran's vocals are actually perfect on this song. So it's like I haven't heard vocals that are more perfect than this on this piece. So yeah, let's listen to the song. If it hurts and you can't take no more, lay it all on me. No, you don't have to keep it under lock and key. Cause I will never let you down. And if you can't escape all your uncertainty, baby, I can show you how. That was Lay It All On Me by Rudimental featuring Ed Sheeran. So you're a senior automation engineer, obviously working quite a lot with um, various tools and code and stuff. Um, what sort of automation work are you focusing on at the moment? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've just come back to full automation after maybe two years of uh, being mostly a team lead, but also part automation engineer. Um, I realized I really enjoy and my biggest passion is automation. So I just decided to take this step towards that direction, being a full-time automation engineer. Uh, having done this for so many years, um, I have knowledge both on the API testing side, also on the front-end side. So there's a lot of things I can do. Uh, within my current work, uh, I'm mostly focused on uh, testing by means of Java and Selenium and TestNG and so on. And um, it's mostly front-end at the time, but as I said, anytime I can just switch to something else. But I've always been a fan of, of using Java and using Selenium in my testing. And um, one of the reasons I also joined the role is because I know that some people are struggling with certain items re regarding Selenium tests, and I really want to help out figure how to solve uh, all those issues that people have. So what sort, what sort of challenges are there that you're facing at the moment? Yeah, you know, flakiness or the so-called flakiness. So many times you have those tests that randomly fail and you don't know why. And I'm a really good puzzle solver in this case. So I, I know how to take a look at the test, how to investigate and to, to pinpoint the root cause and then uh, fix what's happening in the test so they're, they're not flaky anymore. Do you, do you have like common patterns that you notice with flakiness that, that tend to be sort of your go-tos? They're, the, they're the things that you first look at to sort of see what the problem is. What I mostly do is I just uh, run the same tests 
like uh, a whole num like a large number of times maybe run them five times or ten times just for me to pinpoint what are the areas where they they most frequently fail based on that i can identify maybe certain methods that are called or uh, just some code that executes repeatedly and that sometimes fails and sometimes it doesn't um, what I do usually is I use WebDriver weights from Selenium and uh, I'm not using, you know, like the click method from Selenium or send keys from Selenium directly, but I use some custom uh, weight based methods for all of these actions, uh, which will lead to uh, better reliability in the tests. I also have a, a talk on this, uh, which is available on, on YouTube. And I also have a library that I created in GitHub regarding using weights in your tests. So the library is called Waiter. And uh, I exemplified how to use weights and WebDriver weights in your tests so that you will avoid the flakiness. But basically, from my perspective, a Selenium test is, again, only from my perspective, it's um, continuous set of waiting for everything. So you're waiting for something to appear or you're waiting for an action to complete or you're waiting for an action to be completable. So for example, if you're trying to click on a button and it doesn't work from the first time, maybe just wait until the button is enabled or the button is visible or whatever happens there before you're actually trying to interact it as to avoid um, you know, failures and random failures. So there's like a, a lot of the actual test code itself um, is rushing ahead too quickly. It's not waiting for the necessary things before carrying out its its other actions. Yes, it always happens like this, and especially in test environments, because we all know that our test environments are very slow. So even in, if in production, let's say, the same test would run perfectly, in the test environment, it's never going to be the case because we don't have that many uh, resources available uh, for our machines. So then we need to kind of do a, this workaround where we need to wait for things to happen. Of course, ideally, we would have the environments fixed, but, you know, that's ideally. So we have to to use weights uh, in order to fix this problem for us. Well, I think it's, it's an interesting thing, like with like dealing with environments that might have sort of unexpected slowdowns or don't necessarily have the resources, because sometimes I sort of find that um, there's almost a case of like adding in weights and adding in workarounds like that to sort of deal with the problems with the environments um, only get us so far. Like I feel sometimes we have to actually try and have that conversation, even though it may, like sometimes it can be quite frustrating when you sort of hit those brick walls with people sort of saying, well, you know, we're not going to fix that because it's a test environment. Why would we care about that? Do you, do you find that you sort of end up sometimes in those sort of conversations as well, where you're sort of trying to advocate for sort of more automatable products? I definitely went through these situations a lot during my career. And, um, you know, if the environment is the one that's causing these, uh, these slowdowns in your tests, what I suggest to people is just go ahead and have the conversation with whoever is the owner of the environment or whoever can help you in setting up the environment. And, you know, many times you will get a rejection, like maybe you're going to someone asking for more resources and they're going to say no, but you have to, to insist, like nag them mm -hmm. until they, they get really tired of hearing you and they just fix it. Or like the more realistic approach usually would be to uh, provide some uh, details regarding how this is affecting not only testing because, you know, we're just the testers, but how it is affecting the entire 
uh, development and release process. Because, you know, if you have to spend two extra days testing something because the environments were not working properly for each release, and if you're doing uh, bi-weekly releases, then that's going to be a delay that you don't really want to have because you want to deliver something to your customers. So when you come up with, with like clear arguments where you have metrics that you can present maybe to management, then it's more clear to them, you know, why you're complaining about the environments and it's easier for them to, to make that decision. Okay, we need to buy more hardware. We need to buy more resources for this machine because ultimately the goal is to deliver. And if you can't deliver because you're stuck, you know, on a poor environment, then you need to act on it. And the management can give you what you need as long as they are aware that you need this. Yeah, it's bringing it back to risk, isn't it? And it's not just risks to the product, but risks to the project and the the delivery of the project as well. Exactly, yeah. Well, one thing I hear quite a lot from people is talking about starting out in automation. Um, And I'm definitely going to ask you some questions about that. But before we do that, because I feel like there's quite a lot to share around that, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about your second song pick? Yes, so for the second song, I picked uh, Dua Lipa's Be The One simply because it's a, a very good song and uh, I love the orchestration on the song. I love her voice. Um, it, it's a very nice song to listen to. Like for me, if I listen to it during the night, it just calms me down and just gets me dancing. And so it's just a feel good song. So that was Be The One with Dua Lipa. So yeah, starting out in automation, um, it's something I think a lot of people who kind of work in the automation space get asked quite a lot. I guess that kind of folds into two different questions. Firstly, like how did you start and what sort of advice would you give to others starting out? Yeah, I started basically because I had to start. Um, I was employed at a company where... Uh, They just imposed that, uh, you know, starting tomorrow, everything we will do will be automated. So I kind of had to learn uh, because, you know, that was the direction where we were going. And I really loved the company I was working for. So I thought, you know, this would be great for me. Um, I had graduated from a technical university, but to be honest, I didn't learn that much in the university. Like I was expecting to know more uh, when I got out of there and to become a programmer, probably. But that didn't happen. So, um, you know, a few years later, when we started the automation effort, uh, for me, it was a bit easier because I had a background from the technical university and I knew about Java and, you know, we started with something similar with Java. So for me, that was really awesome because I I now had, let's say, the impulse to, to start learning more. And uh, as I was learning, I realized I really enjoy doing this. So I continued with uh, with learning Java, with learning Selenium. Basically, I, I kind of had to learn what we had on the project at the time. So 
uh, it was more like learning because of the job. But then, um, you know, in my spare time, I started researching. I started looking into all kinds of tools, uh, into other programming languages, just to see what I prefer, you know. And I realized that, okay, what I want to do starting from that point on is uh, just automation with Java and, you know, uh, uh, API testing and front-end testing, but mostly focused on Java. So um, personally, I'm not really, not necessarily a fan, but I don't really use uh, tools that create automation based on just dragging and dropping. I have basic decent uh, programming language knowledge. So for me, it's way easier to create whatever code I need, whatever custom things I need uh, by writing the code instead of uh, using some tools that are predefined. So that have only a specific set of actions that they can help you with. So this is me. This is just my focus is writing automation code. There's an interesting point there around the the drag and drop stuff because I would say that uh, like I'm, myself, I predominantly uh, create most of my automation through code. Um, I do quite a lot of it in the sort of Java space as well. I think that uh, I'd accept in the past that I've maybe been a little bit too judgmental of drag and drop tools. But I've actually found that through some of other events and stuff that I've been involved in, I've actually tried a few of the newer sort of drag and drop stuff. And I, I've personally found them actually to be sort of kind of sophisticated in some ways, you know, limited in others. Are there any like reasons why you wouldn't use drag and drop or are there any reasons why you might use drag and drop like for, as advice for other people? I'm not saying not to use them, of course. Yeah. Uh, when you're starting out and you want to learn automation, you need to first set your goal. You need to, to understand whether you are willing to invest time in learning programming or you just want to uh, learn a tool that can help you maybe achieve the same results. From my perspective, it was just that I started with the code and for me, it's way easier to work with the code. I know whenever I need something, I can build it. I can write it. There's a community that can help me uh, create the code if I don't know how to do that. These tools, as you mentioned, uh, that have come up in the last few years, they are very sophisticated and they can help you with a lot of things. You can do a lot of Selenium automation, you can do uh, mobile automation. So there's a very good choice out there. It all depends on you. It, on the, it all depends on what you want to do in your career. You, know? um, you can start with some tools and then, you know, uh, as you progress, maybe you save some time for learning some programming uh, uh, concepts, it depends. But either way, whatever you're choosing, you need to understand one thing if you're starting out with automation. It's not going to be a very short process. So you won't get to being uh, a fully functional automation engineer really fast because you need to learn a lot of things, especially if you're going with the programming aspect. Uh, there's a lot you need to learn. And it's always important to start learning the basics because if you don't know the basics, you cannot learn something more sophisticated because whatever you're trying to do in the basic area is going to be a little bit you know of a mess so have your foundation clearly set up start with the basics read the official documentation of whatever tool you're trying out or whatever programming language you're trying out and you know advance from there but always start with the basics i really like that idea of setting clear goals for yourself and understanding why you're involved in this um and I think also not just like your own personal goals, but so you may be 
under pressure to deliver something um, and you might not be given the time and space to actually practice things with languages, which is where those sort of tools come in. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, though, that um, it's important to allow yourself time and accept the fact that it's 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 a slow process, but it is one that builds upon itself. Um, but you've got, to, you've got to be willing to put the time into it and there's no sort of quick fixes or quick solutions to this sort of stuff. Yes, and also something else I'm thinking about is uh, many times if you're learning at work because you need to work on a project at, at work, you won't have enough time to learn. And so sometimes you need to make sacrifices and you know take out of your own personal time just because you want to achieve something. You want to, to be at a point where you know, you know a lot of automation, for example, and so you need to be able to, you know, take a few hours out of your spare time just to learn more and to improve your own skills, not for the job, but for yourself, because it's going to help you in the future. Even if you won't be at the, this company that you're working for right now, maybe in the future, because you took that extra time, uh, you will have more opportunities to be hired somewhere based on what you've learned during this time. Yeah. And that, I think sometimes people don't realize that there's actually quite a lot of resources out there um, in terms of not just teaching you to um, to code or program or to, to build automation, but actually there's a lot of tools out there that you can use to actually practice um, practice automation against as well. Um, and I'll definitely, we, we actually put an article together of like a, a list of different um different sites and stuff that you can practice against. Um, so I'll drop those in the notes as well. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I think there's uh, some really useful information there for people um, starting out. Um, but obviously, you know, we've still got songs to pick. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your third song pick? So this next song for me uh, represents Summer. Uh, it's uh, called Slide. It's by Calvin Harris. And uh, it kind of takes me to an area like I'm imagining palm trees and the ocean and the breeze and coconuts and so on. So this is also a very happy, joyful song. So let's listen to it. was slide by calvin harris so one thing i'm interested in getting your views on around sort of the automation space is that um i think sometimes people sort of view automation as a means to sort of just find bugs you know we're just deferring some of the testing to a tool um do you do you feel that way do you think that um that a lot of automation is around finding bugs or is there something more to it well, I think automation is there to make sure uh, the software is working properly. If it doesn't find bugs, hopefully it means that there aren't any bugs in the system. So if the tests were properly written, 
if something, if a change to the code or an exterior, uh, an external change that you cannot uh, manage uh, happens, uh, this test can signal that, you know, that particular change broke something in the software. So they might be able to pick up these bugs. However, there's also other aspects that you can, you can think about when it comes to this automation. Uh, you can have automation for aspects like security testing or maybe even performance testing. Because once you run your automation, you can, let's say, uh, run it uh, in such a way that it causes a huge load on a particular machine. And that's when uh, the application or the software might become unstable. And then you could pick this kind of behavior up just by having run those automated tests. Also, I don't know whether, you know, finding bugs is necessarily our own our only goal. I mean, I, I had a few conversations um, regarding, you know, whether people like to find bugs or they don't. And I'm one of the people that doesn't like to find the bugs. Let me tell you why. Um, if I start working on a project and uh, let's say we have to release in two weeks and I start finding more and more bugs as, as I advance in my testing, to me, that's not a reason to be joyful and say, yay, I found all the bugs. First of all, I really hate having to create the bug reports because it takes a lot of time and you know you need to put the screenshots, you need to find the logs and so on. So it takes a lot of time. But also I don't like finding the bugs because to me that signals that we kind of have a problem in our process. When a code comes to me as a tester, I expect it to go through certain processes. Initially, when the develop before the developer starts to write the code, they're supposed to do an analysis on what needs to happen. So they need to understand the requirements. Uh, and only once they know exactly what needs to be implemented, they should start doing the actual implementation. After that, there is a phase where you know, they need to create uh, unit tests. And someone also needs to review the code that they wrote. And only after all of these steps have been done, will the code end up you know, on a testers table, hopefully. If I find a lot of bugs, then it means that some of these processes was, weren't really uh, either followed, because sometimes you know we skip code reviews, we skip unit tests, uh, or that they weren't done in a proper fashion. Uh, that's a bit worrying to me. So I would hope that uh, you know if I find bugs, I only find those that are really like edge case of an edge case of an edge case, or something that's really not that obvious. I really hate, uh, you know, looking at the code and like the, at the first button click or at the first page render, I see the bug. To me, that, that signals low quality. And to me, it also signals that we're going to have to postpone the release probably because we probably have a lot of things to solve before even considering releasing the piece of software as it is right now. So there's, there's an interesting thing to take from that, like talking about quality as well, because I think you're talking about quality of two very different things here so you're talking about not just bugs in terms of giving you a sense of the quality of the product but it's also giving you a sense of the quality of of your team of your how your team's working how your process how your project is set up as well do you like track that in any way or is it more of a you use it as more of a kind of like as a heuristic to sort of say something's not right here, I need to go and explore more about how things are working and, and find out more information that way? Yeah, so if I see that this happens a lot, if I see a pattern here, I think it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. I mean, don't get me wrong, some of the bugs will definitely end up uh, to be caught in the 
testing phase in the QA phase. Uh, but you know, you you can't just have the happy flow not working, for example. And when that happens to me, it's just you know, I, I find I find it very difficult to manage personally because the only thing I want to tell the developer is like fix it, mm. you know. Um, it, it shouldn't happen actually, you know. It should never happen like that. Uh, before you show me the code, you should take a look at it yourself. So when this is something that constantly happens to me, as it signals that there's a lack in the process, and we are going to address that because it just it's not. I don't think it's normal. So I think uh, everybody in the team, whether it's the developer or the product owner or the tester, we have our contribution to make to the project, and we all need to be aware that we need to deliver quality software. Otherwise, you know, the customers will be unhappy. They won't pay for our services and, you know, what happens then? So, um, you know, product owners need to write clear requirements. Developers need to understand the requirements and to create the best code and the best infrastructure for that code in order to deliver the functionality. And of course, we need to come in and to, to make sure that everything is working according to the requirements. I'm curious to know, so you, you mentioned there, that there's you you you'll sort of encourage activities to improve things. When do you do that? Do you try and sort of organize events, or do you take advantage of other ceremonies like retrospectives? If I see that there is a, an issue and we need to work on the process, I would normally discuss this with whoever is managing the team before we're doing anything. I wouldn't normally wait until the retrospective or until, I don't know what, checkpoint in the future. Uh, if I see an, an issue that really needs to be addressed, I will mention it to, to the right people as soon as possible because I want to get that fixed as soon as possible. Of course, retrospectives are a very good way of um, reporting and, and discussing um, such issues. But from my, from my experience, many times retrospectives are, I'm not going to say useless, but pretty useless because we're discussing the same things and we have, you know, action items that we need to, to address. We assign them to people and then people don't do their own action items. So I think, you know, I would rather patch things on the move rather than just uh, wait for a certain checkpoint in the future. Once you find the issue, report it, it's fresh in your mind address it and then you know two days later there won't be a problem anymore and you can do something uh, better and um, you you've managed to improve something and it also gives you kind of a satisfaction well um i think uh we're heading that point now where it'd be good to hear about a, another song pick so why don't you tell us about uh song number four so our next song is called what lovers do and it's by maroon five and caesar um, she has an amazing voice on this song and the song is very cheerful and very fun. So that's why I picked it and let's listen to it right now.
That was What Lovers Do by Maroon 5 and Scissor. So I think it's, I'd be remiss for not mentioning that we're obviously recording this in the middle of um, some crazy times around COVID-19 and um, Mott has just cancelled um, a bunch of events and stuff, which is, yeah, it's a little crazy at the moment. Um, but hopefully, you know, we're going to see things, um, I say calm down, improve. Uh, I don't really know what the right word is to say, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, as a community, get back together and see each other in person. Um, and uh, I believe you're actually organizing a conference that's going to be sort of later in the year, sort of November time, and that's still going ahead? Yeah, so uh, together with a, with a team of several people, uh, we are organizing an event uh, in Budapest. And um, yeah, we're in the process of, uh, you know, organizing everything. Um, it's a conference I really love because for the past three years, I was a speaker there. And for the past two, I was also part of the committee that was reviewing the proposals for the conference. So it's a, it's an interesting step for me to see like what's on the other side of the submission and on the other side of organizing the conference, not just as a speaker or, or as an attendee. So yeah, we're, we're working on, on making it happen and it's going to be in an awesome location and details will, uh, will follow in the next days. Cool. What's the name of the conference? The name is Hustaf. Nice one. I'll, um, I'll add a link to the, uh, to the resources. Um, so and people can take a, take a look and check it out. Um, yeah. So yeah, you've, you've spoken at conferences. You've now been on the other side where we're working with CFPs and stuff. Like, do you have any advice for people who are, uh, submitting abstracts are there like things that you like to see things you don't like to see we always like to see a person's experience so um this year we're looking for practical examples like uh, you know you had the problem how did you fix it from your own perspective uh not just theories just uh, practical stuff and um my advice to people who are submitting to any conference in general not just this one is to you know pick a subject that is close to their heart and something that they can help others with. So whenever I, I would uh, submit a presentation, I'm trying to improve the work of someone else. Uh, just you know, show them something that I know that maybe they don't know, maybe show them a different perspective. Um, sometimes, you know, for them, it's something that they already know, but at least I try to. So, um, when you're submitting proposals, first of all, be aware that there's always going to be a limited number of slots. Like if we have only 20 slots and we get 100 uh, proposals, it's really difficult to pick. Um, many times, you know, you have to, to say no to really amazing abstracts simply because you don't have the time for them. But uh, even if like even if you get a rejection, keep on trying because, you know, you didn't get rejected because you didn't have a good proposal, but simply because, you know, at this time, you either weren't um, following maybe the theme of the conference or if there is something like that or because like simply, you know, the committee had to choose something and, you know, they did the best they could considering the number of slots available. Of course, everybody would like to have, you know, everyone speaking at the conference, but, you know, venues are limited. Uh, you can only bring so many participants at one time and so on. So there's a lot of limitations regarding conferences and there's, a lot of hassle behind organizing one. So even if you get accepted, even if you don't, you know, really appreciate the people who are, are working on 
setting up the conference because it's a lot of hard work. Do you offer feedback, like if if people request it? Definitely, I'm, I'm up for feedback. So uh, in the previous years, when, when we did the call for papers, we also provided feedback for sure. Because I think sometimes people, it's hard not to take it personally sometimes. And I think that if you've had that sort of sting of that immediate rejection, it's hard to then sort of take the time to sort of push past that and then go, okay, well, give me some feedback. How can I improve this and and give this some polish as well? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I said, the the theme of the conference is very important because even if you have a a fantastic proposal, um, but it doesn't meet the theme, uh, some others that are also fantastic, but do meet the theme might probably get uh, a better acceptance rate than yours. But it's, it's fine. There are other conferences where you can present the content because, you know, we all want to learn. We all have a lot that we need to learn. So there is place for every every talk at every conference. For example, myself, I know that some of the content I'm presenting is not fit for certain conferences. And I've learned that, you know, after years of submitting. So I'm not even submitting my talks there because I know I won't get accepted anyway. So sometimes I just need to, to focus on other conferences um, instead of those. And it's, yeah, it's important to do your research before you send in your submissions like say like understand what it is that the organizers are asking for um for a good example is um agile deliver um tends to be sort of it's it's in the sort of agile space but it's very much tech focused so you know that's not the sort of thing where you're going to sort of talk about agile culture you know what they also need to, to take into consideration is that the abstract that they're submitting um, it should be more than just one, two lines. I mean, uh, we need to see a lot of information in the abstract. Although it's just an abstract, we need to kind of have an idea of what you're trying to present. So try to, to give as much information as you can in the abstract without, you know, revealing the entire talk, of course. But both, you know, the selection committee and also the attendees need to choose a talk. So uh, once you provide them enough details, they will select your talk for sure to attend or to to have in their conference. So the, yeah, this idea of um, talks that match a theme. When you're organising um, a program or like a list of talks that are going to be presented, like how how strict are you with the program? Um, does that pose any challenges when putting together like the list of talks that you want? I think it's just another criteria for evaluating the talks because usually there are like several criteria, you know. As much as the theme counts, uh, you, you can accept a talk if it doesn't fit the theme, as long as the abstract is, uh, you know, revealing and it really convinces you that this talk is really going to bring added value. Because what we actually want from conferences is for attendees to get the most out of it and to learn as much as they can out of it, right? So if we have an amazing talk that just doesn't fit the theme, if it's really, if we feel that uh, it it's bringing the the right value, then it can get accepted for sure. Cool. Well, I think it's also worth mentioning that, like, not necessarily all conferences have themes. Um, so, for example, at Test Bashes, we tend to sort of do it on the basis of what are people interested in. Um, but I think you're right. I think you definitely need to research, um, understand what it is that um, a conference organizer, a conference organizer, is looking for, and you know, make sure that you are clear in terms of what it is that you're going to talk about. Because um, I'm the same as well. I get very frustrated when I see one or two line abstracts because it doesn't 
doesn't tell you anything and it's very hard to sort of get any detail out. Well, yeah, so um, I think we're coming to a close um, for our uh, chat, but um, I think we've got a little bit of time for you to share your last song. So why don't you tell us about that? For the last song, I chose a classic but reinterpreted. So I think everybody knows uh, New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Uh, But I also really love Lady Gaga's voice and the way she sings. Uh, Like she does a lot of jazz and it sounds really awesome. So I decided to combine both. And uh, this last song is going to be New York, New York, but sung by Lady Gaga. Right through the very heart of it, New York, New York. I want to wake up in that city that doesn't sleep. And find I'm dead up a hill, top of the heap. These little town That was New York, New York by Lady Gaga. So, uh, Karina, thank you very much uh, for coming on the podcast. It's um, It's been a pleasure. And as always, I love talking about automation. Um, so thank you for scratching that itch. Um, so now that you've picked your five songs, you also have uh, the option to bring one book with you to the island. Um, what book are you going to go for? As with songs, it's really difficult to pick just one book, especially because Joe Nesbo has a series of uh, novels uh, where Harry Hole is the main character, who is a detective from Norway. Uh, but if I were to choose just one book in the series of Harry Hole detective books, uh, I pick Nemesis. So uh, it's really intriguing. Uh, the setting is amazing. You know, um, some of the books uh, that he wrote, that Joe Nespo wrote, uh, take place in Norway. So this is one of them and uh, enjoy the reading. It is amazing. Cool. Well, we'll add that book to the Goodreads list and all of the songs will also be added to the Spotify playlist, um, which details for all of those will be shared in the um, resources below. Um, Is there any way, well, I was going to say, you know, have you got any upcoming events? Um, But... I guess it's all a little in flux, but other than um, the conference, um, do you have anything else coming up at the moment or is it just a case of focusing on work at the moment? Yeah, just like many other people, I do have some cancellations. Um, uh, I do have a webinar and a podcast coming out, some articles. There will be some interesting stuff on the blog, uh, apart from the comics, of course. Um, So basically, I'm just, uh, you know, focusing on remote things and uh, my blog right now. And we'll see what happens in the future. Cool. So I'll I'll obviously add your blog to um, our links as well. Is there any other ways people can get in touch with you and get updates on what you're up to? Uh, I have Twitter. So I'm usually uh, following Twitter, not necessarily tweeting that much during the last weeks, let's say, but I'm there and I'm I'm taking a look. So if you want to get in touch, just DM me and uh, I will get back to you. Excellent. Well, I'll I'll drop those in the notes as well. Um, Well, 
thank you again for uh, coming along. Um, if you are, uh, you know, as a listener, if you're interested in joining us, then um, you can get in touch with us uh, via Twitter. Um, and also uh, there's a link to our form. So if you want to come on the podcast, uh, just send us over your five song picks in your book and uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, but all that's left for me to say again is, uh, Karina, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, so it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Karina. Thank you very much for having me. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely week. And I'll see you soon. Bye. Test Design and Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Mark Winteringham. Created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.